when you stare directly into the law, every human falls short. Every human gets the wrath of God if our measurement is God's law. God has chosen to cover the law with the mercy seat. Last week, we, were, uh, we just started the book of 1 Samuel, and we're going to slow things down for a little bit through Samuel and Kings, because it covers a large portion of Israel's history between Samuel, Kings, and First and Second Chronicles. That's 575 years of Israel's history, several kings, civil war, northern and southern kingdoms, all kinds of crazy stuff happening in David's life. So we're going to slow it down so that we don't miss the history of what's happening here and how it applies to the rest of Scripture. So we did the first three chapters of Samuel, which lead up to Samuel being called by God. And that's where it ends. Samuel has been called by God, and he's been given a prophecy about Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, saying that they will die on the same day. And Samuel is prepared now to take over the role of high priest and judge from Eli. Uh, Samuel is now, a pro- is now a real prophet. His words come true. He has been given prophecy by God that gets fulfilled. And so we pick up in chapter 4. And chapter 4 starts with really what Samuel said coming true. And we don't know how it's going to come true. We do know that Hophni and Phinehas are going to die, so is Eli, on the same day. So how does that get fulfilled? We find out in chapter 4. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel, and when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp of the elders of Israel, said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes out among us, it it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So in the first three verses, you see Israel is in battle with their famous enemy. They're going to war against the Philistines. The Philistines have defeated them in battle. And the response from the Israelites is, what's going on? I thought God made a promise to be with us. Why has he allowed us to be defeated? 4,000 of our men have been killed. I know what we'll do. We'll bring the Ark of the Covenant out from Shiloh and bring it out to the battlefield, and that will help us. And so the people of Israel just don't get it. They don't understand Just like it said at the end of the book of Judges, or just like it said in chapter 3 of Samuel, where there's no king in those days. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They weren't following God. They were following their own emotions, their own hearts, their own idea of what was right and wrong, rather than God's moral objective. And in Samuel chapter 3, he said the word of the Lord is rare in these days, and the revelation of God was rare. That's what it opens up in chapter 3. And so, The people aren't following God. They're just following their own ideas, their own will. And so they're going, why has God let us down? God didn't let you down. You let him down. You stopped following him. 
you didn't hold up your end of the covenant. And just like he said, when you don't hold up your end of the bargain, you will be disciplined, my children, right? No one parents their kids by telling them, even when you misbehave, I'm going to give you the lollipop, right? It's if you seek the behavior and you seek to discipline them and teach them and show them what's right, you don't encourage their bad behavior. So God says, you gave yourself up uh, and you went to battle and you haven't been following me. This is on you. And so then they put their trust not in God, but in an idol. They've made the Ark of the Covenant, which is supposed to represent the presence of God, and they've made it a thing that they think if they bring it out to battle, they're going to win, as if the item itself is the problem. The item itself is not the problem. Their hearts are the problem. But they're acting just like all of their neighboring countries, and they're believing in the idols and the symbols. And they think, we're going to bring this Ark out, and, uh, and then God will save us because they're putting their faith in the object rather than the actual God. And so they bring it out from, Sh- from Shiloh. So the people sent to Shiloh, this is verse 4, that they might bring there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas. They were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. So Eli, Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark. So it appears that Hophni and Phinehas were probably the ones who went into the Holy of Holies and grabbed the Ark, which goes against Jewish law completely. They're not supposed to enter the Holy of Holies. They're not the high priest, and it's not the Day of Atonement. So they're doing everything they're not supposed to do, and they're putting their trust in this object, and they bring it out, and these two sons of Eli bring the Ark with them. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the Ark of the Lord had come in into into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the land, from the hand of these mighty mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines, a pagan culture with multiple gods, they they hear this shout because the Israelites have put their faith and trust in this box, and they go, oh no, their God is fighting with them. What are we supposed to do? And now they're talking about an event that happened hundreds of years ago at this point. And they're saying, do you, didn't you hear about what happened when the ark was with these people? What happened to the Egyptians? So what God did to the Egyptians is still infamous to the ancient cultures. And that the, they're afraid. The Philistines are afraid. Because they still see, they have the same problem that the Israelites have. They're putting their trust in the object, not the actual God. They, they even say God is with them because the ark is with them. As if the ark is God. The ark is not God. The ark represents God being with them. And so they set a bad example and they allowed the Philistines to see this incorrectly, which might come into play a little bit later. The leaders of the army, of the Philistine army, are basically saying, man up, act like men. 
do what you've come to do. We're warriors. Be warriors. So they get a little motivational speech. And then in verse 10, the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. Every man fled to his tent. There was very great slaughter there. Fell, uh, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. So at this battle, they, they're all confident because they brought the ark out. They completely went against what the law said, and they put their trust in an object rather than the God that they should believe in. And with all this bravado, 30,000 men are killed, as well as the high priest's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. So we've seen part of the prophecy that Samuel predicted that Hophni and Phinehas were going to die in the same day happens. And then we get a picture of the reaction from this, starting in verse 12. So then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. So he's, he's tore his clothes and he's got dirt on his head. This is like a universal sign of mourning. He recognizes something horrible has happened. He's coming in humility to the high priest. Now, when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside, watching for his heart trembled before the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told, told it all, they cried out, when Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this tumult mean? And the men came quickly and told Eli. So Eli, he's old, he's blind, he's, he can't really see, he doesn't understand what's happening, he's trying to figure out what's going on. So Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were so dim that he couldn't see. So he's confused. And then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle, and I fled today from the battle line. And so Eli asks, what happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of the God has been captured. Then it happened. When he made mention of the ark of God, that's important. So I don't know if you can underline that. When he made mention of the ark of God, that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel for 40 years. Eli is listening to this man's story, and he hears about this battle. He hears that Israel fled the Philistines. All of this is probably pretty shocking to, to Eli. And then he hears his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, have died. There's no reaction. I mean, he kind of he expected this because of the, prof the prophecy that Samuel gave him. But no reaction. But when did he give a reaction? When he heard that the ark was taken. And he was so flabbergasted, he fell backward and broke his neck. And it even gives us some insight into Eli, where it says he was old and heavy. In the first three chapters, you find out that God yelled at Eli, basically, for taking of the meat from the sacrifices and overindulging in the sacrifices and the meat. Um, so he was kind of getting fat off of the sacrifices of the people rather than actually being humble before God and allowing it all to be burned on the altar. So even though Hophni and Phinehas were horrible, Eli was still taking in some of that corruption. Verse 19, now his daughter-in-law, so Eli's daughter-in-law, Phinehas's wife, was with child due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father her father-in-law and her husband were dead. 
she bowed herself and gave birth, and for her labor pains came upon her. So she was like so distraught that it caused labor early. And about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God has been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. So Phineas's wife finds out about the death of her husband, her brother-in-law, her father-in-law, and she's so distraught, she goes into early labor. She ends up dying in labor, but with her last breath, she names her son Ichabod at this news that the ark has been stolen. And she says, God's glory has departed from Israel. And she's naming her son after the circumstances of what's going on in Israel right now. This is a dark time, but Samuel is coming on the scene. Okay? But we get to maybe one of my favorite chapters in the Old Testament. This is fun. Chapter 5. It's going to be great. Um, And we might have some laughs. So then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Now, Dagon is a, is a Philistine god. You know, some of the ancient texts show that he had like a fish bottom and a, an, a male man's upper body, like a merman or Poseidon-like character. And so they've brought the ark of the god to the temple of this pagan god, and as, as like victory, right? Because this is their way of saying, our God beat up your God. This is the equivalent of ancient armies doing the kindergarten, my dad can beat up your dad. And so they, they've, they're claiming victory over, over the God of Israel. And, uh, and this is what happens. When the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its, on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its place again. So they took the Ark of the Covenant, which represents God dwelling with Israel, and they've placed it before this sculpture of their pagan god, Dagon. And they're like, ha-ha, Dagon beat you. He's, our God is better than yours. And they walk out the next morning, the priests come out, and the statue of Dagon is, is face down before the Ark of the Covenant in the same posture of Middle Eastern prayer, right? Like this is, this is a... A, this is a worship posture that this statue is in. And so they're like, uh, we don't know what happened. So they just, they go put Dagon back. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of his hand were broken off of the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who come into Dagon's house, tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. So this is out in the West Bank of Israel in the Gaza Strip. They put Dagon back, and then the next morning, the priests walk in, and now the statue is bowed down to the Ark of the Covenant again with its hands fallen off and its head removed. So God is like, all right, you didn't get it the first time. Let me just show you how much better I am than this ridiculous fish man that you worship and this is any time in your, I can't imagine ancient worship, right? Like any time you get to a place where you have to pick your God up off of the floor and dust him off and put him back up on a pedestal, 
what are you doing? Right? What are you worshiping? Oh no, my God has fallen down on the ground. Let me pick him up and bandage it. Right? Like that's not the God of the universe. Come on. It's ridiculous. It's, but this is their mentality. Uh, this carved image is so powerful. And so the hand, the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors. Now this word tumors, it might be boils or sores. Don't really know what's happening here, but you'll see later that it probably has to do with uh, an infestation of rats or mice and disease that cause death, boils or sores. You'll, you'll see what I mean by this in a little bit both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh toward us and Dagon, our God. Therefore, they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines and said, what shall we do with the ark of, God of, of the God of Israel? And they answered, let the ark of the God of Israel be carried away to Gath. So they carried the ark of Israel away. So now they're saying, okay, Yahweh might be more powerful here in the city of Ashdod. So we're going we're gonna to take the Ark of the Covenant and we're going to take him to a different Philistine city where we think we'll have more power now. He might be more powerful than Dagon in Ashdod, but maybe not in Gath. So let's, let's find out what happens when we bring, we bring the Ark to Gath. Right, this, is the, this is the pagan mindset. It's almost like there's gods of territories. And uh, well, you know, Yahweh might be stronger here, but we might have this threshold that we can... Maybe we're more powerful than in Gath. So it was after they had carried off, uh, carried it away, that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction, and he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumors broke out on, out on them. So the same thing happens in Gath. And therefore, they sent the ark of the God to Ekron. So they do it again, right? Oh, okay, well, okay, he's good in Ashdod and Gath, but maybe... Maybe we'll be more powerful in Ekron than this, than this God. So it was, as the ark of God came to Ekron, the Ekronites cried out saying, they have brought the ark of the God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God, to, God of Israel and, and back, let it go back to its town, to its own place, so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there and the men who did not die, uh, were stricken with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. So they've captured the ark. God makes their pagan deities, their, their carved images, bow down to him, and he breaks them into pieces. So then they carry the ark off to two other cities, and then they get ravaged with disease and rats and tumors and sores and boils. And so they go, all right, we can't handle this anymore. We need to get this thing out of here. We need to send it back to Israel. We get this thing out of here. So chapter 6. Now the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priests and others diviner, diviners saying, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. So they said, if you send away the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it empty, but by all means return it to him with a trespass offering. Then you will be healed and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. So uh, this sounds good if you're just reading it because you read, if we went through Leviticus together and we talked about trespass offerings, this is not what they're doing. They're not going through a Levitical sacrifice. They're basically saying, we are superstitious. So because this thing has caused so much harm, we need to make sure that 
we sort of show how we're going to get back. This is their knock on wood, okay? This is their, uh, I don't know what you do when you break a mirror, what the superstition is there, but what, how, this is them tossing salt over their shoulder. This is their whole superstition. Then they said, what is the trespass offering which we shall return to him? So they answered, five golden tumors and five golden rats, according to the number of the Lord of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of you and on your Lord. So what they're saying is we're going to make an image out of gold of the plagues that this thing has brought on us. So we're going to make boils and sores and tumors out of gold. They're not actually like casting a sore in gold. They're just making something that looks like it, which I, I, don't, I don't know why you would do that. Um, but then they make golden rats or mice to go with it to basically pay homage to the plagues that God has brought on them. Uh, and they send this back to Israel with them. That's their idea, right? This is a very eye for an eye mindset, very ancient Middle Eastern mindset, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So God has brought rats and boils on us. So we're going to Pay, that, pay it back. Like, let them know. We got the message. Please leave us alone. Therefore, you shall make images of your tumors and images of your rats that ravage the land, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods, from your land. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts when he did mighty things among them? Did they not let the people go that they might depart? Now, therefore, make a, make a new cart Take two milk cows, which have never been yoked, and hitch the cows to the cart, and take their calves home away from them. Then take of the ark of the Lord, and set it on the cart, and put the articles of gold, which you are returning to him, as a trespass offering, in a chest by its side. Then send it away, and let it go. All right, let's break this down for a second, because we need to understand what's happening here. These people, they decide they're putting the ark on a cart, and they're, and they're having the cart dragged by two milking cows. So not typic typical beasts of burden that carry things, milking cows. Um, so not beefs or oxen or something that you would expect to pull a plow. These, these animals have never been yoked together. They've never worked together, which means they haven't been trained to pull a cart. They're not animals that would normally pull a cart. And they've been taken away from their calves. So normally a milking cow, when it's initially taken away from its calf would go search for its young to take care of it, right? So they're basically putting this to the test. They're saying, we're creating an impossible situation. We're putting two cows that should go find their young rather than head towards Israel. We're going to put two animals that have never been yoked together together to see if they can just magically somehow work together and head off to Israel. So this is, a, this is quite a, a test. They're really seeing what's going on here. Uh, and watch, if it goes up the road to its own territory, to Beth Shemesh, then he has done us the, this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that this is not his hand that struck us. It happened to us by chance. So they're basically saying, if he goes, if it goes where it's supposed to go, okay, he's going he's gonna to let us go. He's going to let it be. If, it, if the cows do what they're supposed to do and go find their young and head back to the Philistines, then they're going to be like, well, this was just sort of chance. This sort of just happened. So the men did so. They took two milk cows and hitched them to the cart and shut up their calves at home. And they set the ark of the Lord on the cart in the chest with the gold rats and images of their tumors. So the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh and went along the highway, lowing as they went. 
and did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after him to the border of Beth Shemesh. So now the cows are headed where they're supposed to go. They're heading straight. They're not turning to the right or to the left, but they're complaining about it. This is pretty miraculous what you're seeing. Now, the cows are probably complaining and lowing and mooing because they've been taken away from their young. But it's almost, you can almost picture like the angel dragging these cows back to Israel. And they're upset about it, but they're, they're doing this miraculous thing. These two animals that should never be able to do this, this impossible thing, they're just doing it. And they're heading straight to Israel without being led. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And they lifted their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. Then the cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stood there. A large stone was there. So they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. So the people are like, yes, the ark is back. We're going to sacrifice a sacrifice to God, thanking him that the ark is back. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the chest that was with it, in which were the articles of gold and on them the large stone. Then the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices the same day to the Lord. So when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. So interestingly, the Philistines saw this miraculous thing happen. What, is, what I find unbelievable is these high-ranking officials of the Philistines see this happen. They see God do this miraculous thing with these animals. They see God have mercy on them by taking away these plagues. And their response, after seeing what God did to their statue of Dagon, to the, all of these different cities, and to God leading these two animals that had no right to be going in their, this direction, leading them straight back to Israel, that their response isn't, clearly this is the God. Instead, they're just happy to go back home and back to their original pagan worship. Now, that's sad. Verse 17, these are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned as trespass offerings to the Lord, one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. So one for each of the cities. And the golden rats, according to the number of all of the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and country villages, even as far as the large stone of Abel on which they were set, the ark of the Lord, which stone remains to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. So apparently they put this stone as an altar to remember this day that the ark came back, that God brought the ark back to them. Then he struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people, and the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. All right, so we need to stop for a second. This verse, depending on which translation you have, it might say 50,070 men, or it might just say 70 men. It's because the majority of the ancient texts have 50,070 men. The minority of the manuscripts, but they're also the oldest versions of the manuscripts, just say 70. So uh, we're not really sure what the number is, but that's not the point. Just so that if you're confused, my Bible doesn't say the same number. But the point is, these people looked inside the Ark of the Covenant, and then they were struck dead. The, the Philistines, they didn't handle the Ark properly, right? Now, there are Levitical rules about how you're supposed to carry the Ark and how you're supposed to deal with the Ark and things you're not supposed to do with it. The Philistines didn't follow any of those rules. Why? Because they didn't know them. They weren't Israelites. They didn't have the, the 
Levitical law. They didn't know it. God had mercy on the Philistines, and he even showed them his power along the way. And he had mercy on them to not strike down the Philistines who were doing the right thing by taking the ark back to Israel. So why does God not have the same mercy on these Israelites who receive the ark? They, they prepare sacrifices to God. They're excited and they're shouting for joy that the ark is back in Israel. Why does God have no mercy on these people? And it seems really harsh. And just in general, here's one of the things I hear, right? God was so different in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. I love that the New Testament, like Jesus is so merciful. Um, and the God, of, God of the Old Testament is like all these judgments and stuff. It's disappointing to read. And that's not true at all. First of all, let's remember the Old Testament covers thousands of years of human history. The New Testament covers 90, <laughs> except for Revelation, which covers, you know, up to 2,000 plus years down the road from Jesus' birth, right? So you're looking at a scope of thousands of years as in, instead of the scope of one century, right? So it's very different in terms of the amount of time frame that God is doing work. But also, there's a lot of mercy in the Old Testament. But this is actually, this is the gospel message right here, right in this, this little verse that seems cruel. What's happening? The Ark of the Covenant, the top of the Ark of the Covenant is the mercy seat. They're, the cherubim with their, their wings covering their faces, and in the middle of, these, of the cherubim pointing their wings towards the center is an empty space, the mercy seat, where blood gets sprinkled on the Day of Atonement. This is pure gold on top of the Ark of the Covenant, mercy seat. Why is that important? Because underneath the mercy seat is the law. It's the Ten Commandments that the, were carved by God into the, the, the tablets of stone are in the Ark. So when you remove the mercy seat and peer into the Ark, you are looking directly at the law of God without mercy covering it. And this is the whole point. This is what this whole book is about. When you stare directly into the law, every human falls short. Every human gets the wrath of God if our measurement is God's law. God has chosen to cover the law with the mercy seat. And when blood is sprinkled on it, atonement is given for sins because we don't measure up to the law. But these people removed the mercy seat and chose to be judged by the law. So for everyone who says, I don't want God to send me to hell. I don't know why he would. I'm a good person. But they reject Jesus. They're rejecting the mercy seat and looking at the law dead on and hoping they'll measure up to God's standard. You can't. You have to be covered by the mercy seat. You have to be covered by the blood of Christ. So I just, this might be the most important part of tonight. So I wanted to stop real quick. Uh, and the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God, and whom, to whom shall it go up from us? So they sent messengers to all the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, uh, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up with you. So basically, they're saying, who, who, Honestly, who can stand before God? We can't handle this. We're calling up to this other city. You come take the ark back with you. So the, the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. So now the ark has been moved from Beth Shemesh to Kiriath-Jerim and it's in the house of Abinadab. So it was the ark 
uh, it was that the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim for a long time. It was there 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So they're sad that the ark isn't where it's supposed to be in Shiloh. It's in the house of Abinadab for 20 years. So then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. So this is the, the point, right? Samuel is now the high priest. The corruption has left the tabernacle. Samuel is in charge. Samuel's the judge. Samuel's the prophet. Samuel is the high priest. And now Samuel has gotten the people to start tearing down the idols of the foreign gods and focus again on worshiping Yahweh, on worshiping the God of heaven, the one true God. And because of that, God is going to be on their side again because of their repentance. Repentance is important. So now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the Lord of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So they said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Now their hearts are right. Before, they said, why on earth did God let us down? You know, we're not following him, but why didn't he give us what we want? I know, we'll just bring the ark out and the ark will give us what we want. Now, they're lamenting over the fact that the ark's not in the tabernacle. They're crying out to God. They're tearing down the idols and their false worship and they're giving their hearts back to God. And what do they do? They go to the high priest and they say, don't stop praying on our behalf. Right now, they're in a good spot. Their hearts are in the right place and they've learned to call out to God and to follow him rather than expect God to do what they just want, do what they want to do. So Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel and, Lord, and the Lord answered him. Now, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So again, remembering what God has done. It's important to remember the milestones of God's victories so we can call back on them and know what God has done for us. So the Philistines were subdued and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath and Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah and judged Israel in all of those places. But he always returned to Ramah to return, uh, but for his home was there. There he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So everything is good. Samuel is the judge of Israel. The people have torn down the idols. They're following him. 
God is back on their side. They won a decisive victory, and God has restored to them the land they lost. God has given them back what was missing because their hearts are in the right place. And I think that's an, that's, that's an important principle, an important lesson to understand. When we're repentant and humble before God, we can be restored. And we can be restored because of the mercy seat, because of Jesus. Unfortunately, next week, when we get into chapter 8, we'll see the people's hearts turn again. But as of right now, Samuel's in charge, and the people are following God again. And they have repentant hearts. And so that's an important principle. Repentant hearts can restore us because of the mercy seat, because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for just the story of who Samuel was, of who you are, of how creation should bow down to you. And that rather than worshiping the material and the things we create or the things that we hold to, we should be worshiping the God of the universe. Because the things we create will bow down to you just like Dagon did in his temple. God, help us to understand the truth, the gospel, the great story that we do not measure up to the law. But thank you for the mercy seat. Thank you for the blood of Christ sprinkled on the mercy seat, on our behalf. Help us to understand what it really means to be covered by your mercy because we don't measure up and help us to be humble and repentant before you so that we can be restored. Our relationship with you can be restored and help us to share that with those who don't know it yet. In Jesus' name, amen.